ஓரஞ்சனம் நித்தியம் அனந்தரூபம் பக்தானுகம்பாதிரிதவிகிரகம் வை ஈஷாவதாரம் பரமேஷமிடியம் தங்கராமகிருஷ்ணம் சிரசானமாம ஜனனிம் சாரதாம் தேவிம் ராமகிருஷ்ணம் ஜகத்குரும் பாதபதமேத்தோஸ்ரணமாமி முகூரமுகு நமஸ்ரீயதிராஜாயவேகானந்தசூரை சுவாமிவேகானந்தோக title as the freedom so we saw that what's the idea which swami vivekananda is discussing is that the concept of free will is something which is a wrong notion we as such do not have any free will and that in the last class we were trying to understand even from the stand from of modern psychology we will continue our discussion on the succeeding paragraphs uh, so that these ideas which we have already studied in the last class we need not repeat it immediately when we have a synopsis of this chapter uh, we will again just take up the discussion in short to have an idea that why it's being indicated that as such we don't have any free will just in short only this much we can say that that we have an idea that we have only one mind but actually even in the modern psychology they speak of mental modules it's not one mind we have innumerable mental modules each module has a fixed stimuli response conditioning just to give an example when you are in danger you go to the protection mode at that time if there is some danger the response is almost fixed what is the response run so when i am protect in the protection module <clears throat> that that has got activated how it gets activated it's not by my decision it's the situation the moment you are in danger suddenly you will find there is a rush of adrenaline your total uh, psychology has changed your mind has set up has changed a particular module has been activated and now it controls you there the response is fixed and when i am in the different when i am in the growth module some other stimuli response conditioning is fixed the common example which you can understand that we the same person 
is not the same. When I am with my family, I will find I am behaving in a particular way. It's not that I plan that I should behave this way. You will find automatically your behavior changes. The same person when I am with my say, college friends, the way I behave. When I am with my office colleagues, the way I behave. When I am with my kith and kin, with my family, the way I behave. And again, most probably when I go out for some social gathering, the way I behave, you find it so different. The same person will be changed. Not only that, in the last class, we were giving another example that the entire science of advertisement is based on that. When they're advertising a particular product, you will find that the advertisement has nothing to do with the so many things which has been projected. Why? The entire science of advertisement knows that by exposing you to particular type of picture or particular type of video, your particular module can be just activated. Just it gets activated. And once it gets activated, it has its own stimuli response conditioning. We are bound to respond in the way it is already fixed. But at the same time, very interesting, it gives me the feeling that it is I who am deciding. But know it for certain, it is not you who are deciding. It is a fixed stimuli response conditioning that decides, giving us the wrong notion that as if I am the one who is taking the decision. It is the work of the left brain. As in the last class we were saying, the left brain is the language brain, that our brain has the two hemispheres, the left and the right. The right is autobiographical. It just records what it sees, what it perceives. The left brain is the one which interprets, not only interprets, it is the language brain. It speaks out, it's the propaganda machine. And it, it does the propaganda in such a way, it not only just try to uh, explain others, try to convince others. It will make you also feel that what I am saying is genuine. So these are the findings of the modern psychology. As in the last class, we were indicating that there's a wonderful book in modern psychology. The title of the book is Why Everyone Else is a Hypocrite. Sometimes we find that the person with whom I'm speaking is not speaking the truth. I'm almost convinced. And I may think that he is consciously speaking the lie, but actually it is not so. He is biased so strongly that he thinks he's perfectly right. In this world, there is never fight between the right and the wrong. No one knowingly does the wrong. No one. Even the so-called the hardcore criminals, if you just take an interview, they will say, I was right. Is a world who was always uh, just doing wrong to me. And <clears throat> that's the fight of the perspectives. It's not the fight of the right and wrong. No one thinks I'm doing the wrong. Everyone thinks I'm doing the right. And it happens because our own mind is befooling us. So there the question of free will as such is a misnomer. There is nothing called free will. It's a term which is contradictory. Will can never be free. So this will can never be free. So that's why Swamiji has already indicated that free will is a misnomer.
So now with this background, let us continue uh, with the Swami Vivekananda's lecture. We will read out and go for the further discussion. The question has been raised as to from whom this universe comes, in whom it rests and to whom it goes. And the answer has been given that from freedom it comes, in bondage it rests and goes back into that freedom again. So when we speak of man as no other than that infinite being, which is manifesting itself, we mean that only one very small part thereof is man. This body and this mind, which we see are only one part of the whole, only one spot of the infinite being. This whole universe is only one speck of the infinite being and all our laws, our bondages, our joys and our sorrows, our happiness and our expectations are only within this small universe. All our progression and degradation are within its small compass. So that why that the first line was very important, which we hinted even in the last class that the question has been raised as to from whom the universe comes, in whom it rests, to whom it goes. And the answer has been given that from freedom it comes, in bondage it rests and goes back into that freedom again. So that, that as the soul, we are beyond all limitations. We are perfect. There is no limitation. That soul when reflects in the body-mind complex, which is limited, now takes the reflection to be real. And the echo from behind, which is always perfect, is coming, that you are perfect. You are beyond all limitation. And now the ignorance lies here. The soul by itself is perfect. But when it gets associated with the body-mind complex, it gets reflected in the body-mind complex, it cannot be perfect. It cannot be unlimited. Body-mind has its own limitation. But you will find that constantly someone within us is saying you are free. You are beyond all limitation. What is happening? We are taking the ego to be the real. We are taking the ego to be the real. And that's how. What's happening? The ego, when we take the ego to be the real, and which is being reflected in the body-mind complex, which is not real, just a small child, why he gets hooked to these all cartoon movies, why? Because the child himself feels that he cannot uh, just do all those unnatural things which the Batman, Spider-Man are doing, jumping just on a 20-story building, almost probably climbing the wall, he cannot do. Those are the limitations imposed by the body. But the child somehow feels that sense of unlimitedness, that sense of awe, which in our scripture has been spoken of in the sentence. Uh, there's a sentence which, which says, Sa Anantaya Kalpate, that we are made in such a way we can never think ourselves limited. We always think ourselves to be something beyond all limits, Ananta, infinite. We always think of that. Why? That's reflecting. And the child, just to satisfy that feeling that I am not limited, I'm beyond all bounds. What it does, you will find it's getting absorbed in all those 
cartoon movies, so absorbed. What's the cause of that absorption? It's the sense of that awe. It identifies itself with that character and feels a sense of satisfaction. That's what we are constantly doing. The sense of awe. Why it is working? Because the real infinite self is behind that. And when it finds expression through our mind, as we were just saying, that the mind is having various modules with fixed stimuli response condition, there is no question of free will. But as the soul which is behind that is constantly working through it, it's giving that, that sense that I am infinite, which is not the truth. It is just the ego, which is being reflected as that there's a real self. There's a constantly, that's the thing which is happening. So from freedom, it comes so that the, the, the ego, which is behind the mind, that is the freedom. As long as I am in this body-mind complex, it, I'm bound to be in bondage. Though that ego of the freedom is there, it can never be realized in this body-mind complex. But that ego somehow pushes us to go beyond this bondage. And again, we go back to that freedom. So that's where we ended our class. So now, what we are, the Swamiji is saying, so you see how childish it is to expect a continuation of this universe, the creation of our minds, and to expect to go to heaven, which after all must mean only a repetition of this world that we know. So <clears throat> these are the, this just as we were giving the example, when the light falls on a prism, breaks into the spectrum. This, there can be the so many spectrums. Similarly, when the conscious principle gets associated with the cosmic mind, the idea of Brahma is the cosmic mind. When it gets associated with the cosmic mind, it finds expression as the various levels of existence, like the heaven, the seven planes of heaven, the seven planes of hell, the earth, all these various spectrums is something which is a projection when the absolute reality gets associated with the mind. It's just a projection. You take out the prism, everything falls off. Everything merges with the white light. So this, all these words are mere con this projection of the absolute. As long as it projected, it cannot be perfect. I may say that that is higher, this is lower, but all are mere projections. So that way, there cannot be freedom just by going to heaven. It will be a repetition of this world. Just the way even in this world, the rich man, you may feel, is as if lead, leading a, more, uh, a life of intense enjoyment compared to the poor. Here even you find there are so many different strata of existence. Similarly, it has been spoken of in the scriptures that there are such strata of existence even beyond our this world of perception. But there also, the same rule of the mind works. You cannot think of absolute freedom till you go beyond the mind. When we die, we leave this body, but the thing which continues with us is our mind. The Shukshma Sharira is the mind, is predominantly the mind. And as long as the mind is with you, know it for certain, it will go on playing before you, this play, this play of various universe, various universe, but they're all still within the mind. 
and it follows that fixed rule of stimuli response conditioning. You cannot go beyond that. Actually, the word three guna means stimuli response conditioning. As these words, <clears throat> nowadays we don't have the exact meaning. So that's why we sometimes confuse that what actually it means. The stimuli response conditioning speaks of the three guna. We will uh, elaborate it again when the situation comes because otherwise we will be just straying away from the text. So as long as we are in this three guna, know it for certain that we are in bondage. We are bounded by the stimuli response conditioning. <clears throat> Only when we can go beyond the mind, we can really experience the freedom. So let us continue with the text. You see at once that it is an impossible and childish desire to make the whole of infinite existence conform to the limited and conditioned existence which we know. When a man says that he will have again and again the same thing which he is hating now, or as I sometimes put it, when he asks for a comfortable religion, you may know that he has become so degenerate that he cannot think of anything higher than what he is now. So this is the thing Swamiji is speaking of as comfortable religion. What is comfortable religion? For us, we actually don't want spirituality. What we want is all with all the limitations of life, I'm quite happy. I want to be in body. I want my family minus all the suffering. That suffering shouldn't be there. But yes, I should, I should continue through infinity with my family. If that was possible, oh, how happy I would have been. My family, my children, my relatives, they should always behave well with me. There shouldn't be any confrontation. The love uh, should be always unhindered. There shouldn't be any, uh, what you call the hatred, misunderstanding. But this is quite good. This life is quite good. I want to be in this world with all the happiness minus the suffering. That is the comfortable religion. So that's a very basic thing which we all suffer because of that sense of comfortable religion. Even the one who is meditating, sometimes we will find we just feel that, that, that I don't want anything of the world. I want to just meditate and enjoy the bliss. There also it is again comfortable religion. Who is enjoying the bliss? Not you apart from the body. Sometimes as a religious person, we can be extremely selfish. You know why? So-called a family man at least has the sense, I have to take care of my family members. But the so-called religious man is so selfish, is not bothered about anything apart from his own bliss. But that bliss also is of limited self, is of the one with who is in the body. Is in the body, his, uh, enjoys his existence as a limited being, as a bliss. So that's why in the scripture they say that is a sattvic sukha, but that also is within the three guna. The one who is meditating, is enjoying meditation, is established in sattva. But you must always remember the absolute truth is three guna tita, who is beyond the three gunas, even beyond the sattva. Sattva is good. Why it is good? It shows us the way. It acts as an index. It shows us the way which can take us beyond the three guna. That way it is good. But otherwise it is also a bondage. 
So we have to go beyond this so-called comfortable religion. That we want infinite happiness clinging to our limited individuality. That is what is the comfortable religion. Just even in the last uh, some other class in Srimad Bhagavatam, we were indicating when Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures was speaking of getting established in that absolute reality, which is the spirit and spirit alone, which is beyond the time-space causation, that you are one with that non-dual reality. One lady got terrified. She stood up that this merging of my limited self with the absolute, something which she couldn't bear. She told Swamiji, Swamiji, what happens to my individuality? And Swamiji immediately replied, you are not individuals yet. You become an individual when you become one with that absolute reality. As we were indicating that sometimes we don't understand that what Swamiji is saying. But if you take the word individual, that itself will give you the meaning. That which cannot be divided, that which is not individual, is individual. Now, as a limited being, we are actually composed of various components. Take your body, it is Annamaya Kosha, so many cells constitutes you. Take your mind, so many thoughts constitute you, so many feelings, so many emotions. All this is a conglomeration which can be divided. Only thing which cannot be divided, divided is your pure amnes. Get rid of all your feelings, thoughts, get rid of your perceptions. What thing remains is your amnes. I am, I am. That is something indivisible. Unless you are identified with that, everything is divisible. So that's why Swamiji how nicely saying, you are not individuals yet. You become individual when you get identified with the spiritual dimension of your existence. And after that, what he says is very interesting. You know what that comfortable religion is? That's now Swamiji is saying that you are so much afraid of losing your individuality. You know how it is? It's just like a small child who is quite happy with the toys and with the chocolates. And now you come and say, you have to grow up. You have to grow up. And the child asks, why? I'm quite happy with my toys and chocolates. No, you have to grow up, get interest in your education. You just see a scientist, how much he enjoys his research work. And the child tries to just imagine himself in the place of the scientist and he finds such a boring life. He has uh, just forsaken his food, he has forsaken his sleep, always busy, most probably in the laboratory, doing some research work where there's no fun, no joy. And the child says, I don't want, I just want to be happy with my toys and chocolates. So similarly, Swamiji is saying that we are like webs. Swami Vivekananda used, used to use the word, very strong word, that we are all mustached babies. That we physically we have grown, we have mustache, but we are babies. In spiritual sense, we are babies. Why we are babies? Because we can never imagine ourselves without those toys, without those chocolates. Our, for a small child, the toy may be something very uh, trivial for me, but also we are also busy with the toys. Today, one model car you have, next day you find that it is not something which is up to date. 
which is something the fad of the day go for the next what apart what's the how's the difference between a child and you these are also the toys which actually has no value at last they're all flowing flowing we all have to leave them and just just one day have to leave this world nothing is going to be going with us but just see why this is called comfortable religion that just that i had the desire for the new model car when i got it when i was about to get it i was praying i was going and just praying to the lord oh lord if i get i will just offer such and such things to you and when i really managed to get it i go to the shrine and just as a uh, vote of thanks i just to give him thanks i offer something so this is the comfortable religion which swamiji is speaking of that i don't want to go beyond this level of existence i'm quite happy with it i all want all its happiness minus the sufferings so for us god is the means world is the end that is what swamiji is saying is never spirituality it is dross materialism that for us god we don't want god god is just the means who will be providing us all the things of the world i want this world so that's the thing which he is speaking of as comfortable religion that somehow we never want to relate ourselves to the spiritual dimension of existence we want this world minus its suffering so that's what he is speaking of that uh, when he asks for a comfortable religion you may know that he has become so degenerate that he cannot think of anything higher than what he is now he is just his little present surroundings and nothing more he has forgotten his infinite nature and his whole idea is confined to these little joys and sorrows and heart jealousies of the moment he thinks that this finite thing is the infinite and not only so he will not let his foolishness go he clings on desperately into trishna unto trishna and the thirst after life what the buddhists call tanha or tissa this trishna so here swami vivekananda is referring to the buddha's noble truths the four noble truths what are the four noble truths that there is suffering the first dukkha is the cause of suffering that's what is trishna was the cause of suffering it's the desire is the attachment and the third is that there is a way out it is not that we have to suffer there is a way out and the fourth is the process of going out of the suffering the noble eightfold paths which buddha prescribed so these are the four noble truths of buddhism which swamiji is speaking of the first is dukkha now dukkha just we generally translate it as suffering but actually doesn't mean suffering it means dissatisfaction now you may say both are same both are not same suffering is not equal to dissatisfaction when you are enjoying a delicacy if i ask are you suffering you will say no i'm enjoying of course you are not suffering but if i ask are you satisfied you must already feel that already you have developed the craving for the second serving so though you are enjoying you are not satisfied so when we translate dukkha suffering 
it makes no sense. And that's why many say that Buddhism is sadistic. It starts with suffering. Actually, what it is doing is going to the very core problem of our existence. That however you may enjoy, you are never satisfied. The craving goes on, on and on, on and on. It's like a hedonistic treadmill. When you go to the gym and you are on a treadmill, what you are doing? You are running. But where are you going? In the same place you are running. You go nowhere. Ever running, never reaching, not a distant glimpse of shore. That's a treadmill. Hedonistic. Hedonistic means hellish. Our, our life is a constant chase, but reaching nowhere is a tremendous dissatisfaction. Why? Because we are trying to get hold of something which is constantly flowing. It's a flow. You cannot hold on to it. Buddha, you will find, is speaking that everything is flow. Whatever you think is you, is actually flow. Your body is a flow, it's constantly changing. Your feelings is a flow. Your thought processes are flow. These are the five rivers which Buddha is speaking of. Your perceptions are flow. Your constant change in the consciousness, that what you are doing with which your consciousness is getting associated, is a flow. It's all the flow. The idea of Panchakosha in Vedanta is being reflected in these five rivers of flow, which has been spoken of by Buddha. It's constantly flowing. Nothing you can hold onto. But this or futile attempt to hold onto it is the cause of the suffering. So that's what his Swamiji is saying here, that he clings on desperately into Trishna, this desire. So Karma Yuga is gradually coming to the Karma Yuga, that if my mind is not something on which I have control, it is that the question of free will doesn't come. Then where the sadhana, where is the spiritual practice? He's coming here. It's a detachment. Before going to the discussion, I will just give an example. You will find that yes, when I go to the office, my mind works in a particular way. I am a changed person. The lawyer who is waiting to take decision dis totally with uh, what you say that dispassion without any bias, a strict judge, when he is at home, he is a loving father. So as per your mental module, you will find the same person has various roles to play, changing totally. Now, very interesting. That this I understand that I have various more mental modules and they all have fixed responses. But suppose when you are relaxed, that you are not supposed to just act in any particular way as per the circumstances concerned. You are relaxed. You are sitting, suppose, say for meditation and you try to relax your mind. So we all have experienced that it is that's the time we find how devilish the mind is. Just I'm sitting thinking that like, let me just relax my mind. Let me not just think, not worry, not think of any particular thing of my responsibilities, just I relax. And that's the time you will find your mind is getting crowded with thoughts. Not only that, means just the opposite thoughts. Just now you were thinking one thing and suddenly some thought comes, which has nothing to do with this. It suddenly just has, as if jumped into your mind, into your conscious mind, why it happens. So when we are in the default state of the mind, when the mind, you're just thinking of relaxing, what is happening, you know, very interesting. Now all those various mental modules, 
which I have nurtured at particular time as per the circumstances. When I was in office, a particular module was nurtured by me. That my ego is attached to all those modules. But as the ego, ego is the hub of the will of your personality. All those modules are like the spokes. So many modules are there. And your ego gets hooked to a particular module at particular circumstances and it happens automatically. Now, when you're sitting free, it's almost like uh, that you're like the nanny sitting in a chair and it's a vacation time where all the grandchildren have kids and they're all sitting around you. And you are thinking of relaxing, but all these grandchildren want to be pampered. They all want to be pampered. They all are trying to draw your attention. So all are, so they, not, they won't leave you sit relaxed. They're all wanting to get that being pampered by you. They're all at a time trying to draw your attention. That what happens when you will find that you have no as such responsibility. That's why we always like tension. You know, as a human being, the biggest tension is when we have no tension. When you have no nothing to worry about, you find all the worries are coming together. And that's why we are always busy doing something. We cannot keep free because the, the, the thing which we are most afraid of is our own mind. That's why we go to party. That's why we just try to get engagement because I know it's such a horrible thing just to relax with my own mind. It's such a horrible thing. We cannot do that. And that speaks of the nature of the mind that as long as the ego is there as the hub, what is that ego? The conscious principle moment, it gets reflected in the psychophysical existence and takes the reflection to be real. That's the ego. The one who is non-local now thinks it to be the local. The once it happens, now all the modules come into picture. As per how the modules come into picture, take the very basic thing. A bacteria, you will find if you give it some nutrient, it is drawn towards it. Why it is drawn towards it? Now, as the non-dual conscious principle has got associated with this small micro body, it starts thinking, I am this. Now, this micro body can be sustained by the nutrients. So it thinks I am going to be sustained by the nutrients, but actually it is not. It needs nothing. It is free. But as it has got associated with the micro body, it thinks these nutrients are going to sustain me. It is drawn towards it. If you give some toxin, it is just rippled by it. It will run away from it. So from this, from the bacteria, you can see this, the, where this, the first, the ignorance is coming into picture. There you will find these modules have started forming. That the, some, it's all fixed. When I get nutrient, I'm bound to be, to be drawn towards it. If there is something which is going to kill me, I'm bound to run away from it. So these are the fixed modules, which is coming, which is getting hooked with your egos. Yes getting clogged to the ego. The will of your personality is nothing. The hub is the ego and all these spikes are the, your mental modules. What I can do? I cannot just change the stimuli response conditioning of the module. What I can do is try to get detached the ego from all the modules. How it is possible? By relating to that other dimension of existence. Now you find that if I constantly go on thinking that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses, I am the Atman, the spirit, the eternal principle, or even as a devotee, if you just really think if you're a devotee, 
It's not that as a physical body, I'm devotee. Any devotee, what he feels, even after death, I am going to be in eternal association with the divine. It doesn't, my association with the divine doesn't end with this life. So even as a devotee, the same thing happens. You are negating your limited ego. You're hammering the hub. Now you will find in our life what happens sometimes some of the desires disturbs me so much. Suppose someone is addicted to smoking with a lot of attempt, most probably he gets rid of smoking. What has happened? You have somehow got rid of one spike, but the other spikes are there to keep your personality intact. It's not the will doesn't fall off if only one uh, spike is broken, but the will will collapse if you can take the hub out. All the spikes will fall together. So that's the spiritual sadhana. Karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, jnana yoga is all you find in various way you're trying to get rid of the hub. That yes, when I have to be in this world doing my responsibilities, it is the desire which is attaching me to all those spikes. Let it go on, I'm the observer. I cannot change the stimuli response conditioning, but let me not get clogged to it. Just to give an example, when the fan is revolving, how do I stop the fan? I just switch off. When you switch off, does the fan stop immediately? No. It goes on revolving because of its past momentum to stop ultimately. Entire Karma Yoga is that. I cannot stop the already the past momentum of my action because it, it is because of my switching on. But what is the switching on? The ego is attached to all those modules. The moment I switch off, I say, I am, let me be detached. These modules will continue to work for some time. To give an example, suppose you have the habit of feeding birds. In the morning, the birds come, you feed them with the grains. One day you decide, I won't feed them anymore. Enough. Every day morning, so much time is gone. For whatever may be the reasons, I stop. Will the birds stop coming immediately? No. They will continue to come for days together with the expectation that we will be fed. And that's the time you have to have your patience. No. After two days or three days, suppose you think, oh, they're pestering so much, let me give. Again, the expectation will come back. They will continue. So I have to be strict. Let them come. I'm not going to feed them anymore. No, no, no. And then you will find gradually the birds stop coming. So here Karma Yoga is speaking that once you switch off, the, because of the past momentum, the modules are still working, but you are detached. You know that I am neither seeking nor avoiding. In whatever situation of life I have been placed, because of my past momentum, I am still within the responsibilities. Let that go on. Let maybe not be attached. I cannot change the stimulus response conditioning of the modules. Somehow I may get rid of one. The other innumerable desires are there to keep my personality intact. Only way is through detachment. And when it really happens, all the modules at a time falls off. That funny story we sell so many times, that renunciation never happened little by little. Ramakrishna had his own way of explaining this all profound, subtle, spiritual truths in a very, very simple way. What is this funny story Ramakrishna is saying? That one day a man in a village 
a man was just going out to have a dip in the village pond. So as he was going for a dip in the village pond, naturally he was wearing nothing, just a loin cloth. And there was a towel on his shoulder, nothing else. And suddenly he was about to go out, his wife just speaked him that you are so attached. You are so attached to the family and all. Just see the neighbor, he is getting detached slowly. Well, how come, what have you seen in him that he's getting detached? This is a very funny story, Ramakrishna is saying that that other man, the neighbor has 12 wives and he's renouncing them one by one. <laughs> That's the story Ramakrishna is saying. But this man, this man immediately, real renunciation has dawned in just hearing that. He says, you are a fool to his own wife. Can renunciation happen that way one by one? Do you want to see what renunciation is? I am going once for all, not to come back. And he leaves. He never comes back to just pack his belongings so that, yeah, I have to, I am now going. These are the basic essential things I need. Let me pack. Nothing. He was just having the towel and the loincloth goes never to come back again. So that's the thing. Now you relate that the, what we have, the, the renunciation comes just in one go. Once the ego is gone, that sense that I am this limited existence is gone, that I am the infinite being. With that, your attachment to the modules are gone. They fall off. They may because of the past momentum work for some time, but know it for certain, they're not going to continue to, for life after life. It is, its momentum is bound to stop, to render you free. That's the thing Swami, Swami Vivekananda in so many ways has given the example. When Swami Vivekananda was delivering the lectures, at that time electric fan didn't come. So he's giving a different example. He's giving the example of two wheels connected by an axle. In one of his Jnana Yoga lectures, it is there. And what you do when the wheels are moving, you suddenly get hold of one of the wheels and cut the axle. What will happen? The other wheel will go on revolving for some time to stop ultimately. The same thing, that the spirit is the one will and your this psychophysical existence is the other will. Ego is the axle with which it is connected. With the knowledge, the sword of the knowledge, cut the axle, get rid of the ego. The spirit already gets detached, but they, because of the past momentum, the other will continues for, for, for some time to fall off once for all, never to again uh, this uh, goal on the path of transmigration so this is how swamiji is giving that example so now you will understand that how suddenly after the context of free will he is coming to the uh, this discussion on trishna so that's how you will find that how he is wonderfully linking that it's in no way we can think of remodeling the mind by changing the stimulus response conditioning and having some comfortable religion in this life, it's not possible. The only way is detachment. So that you get again identified with your real existence. And this world of this name and this form, it continues, but not for you. For you, the play is over. Just the way in our Shankhya Yoga, another nice example is given. The Shankhya Yoga never speaks of one reality. They say there are various Purushas, but Prakriti is one. Just the way the movie in the movie theater that the movie which is going on is the Prakriti. And so many people are going to watch it. 
those who are watching they are fully engrossed but once the movie is over now they are satisfied they won't watch it again for the second time they all come out but the movie goes on the next show is there for the new throng of people who really want to enjoy that movie so that's how the nature continues for those who are still bound but the one who has realized its nature that is mere projection it is there just for me to learn something or to enjoy for a moment it cannot go out on through eternity it's a foolish idea to go on through eternity the same movie repeating again and again we are get bored if we could have remembered our past life immediately our life this present life will become boring we will find that for so many lives together like a fool we thought as a child that we grow we get educated we get established in life we get married we have nice family we enjoy and then old age comes disease comes death comes what's the ultimate goal that's what we are doing life after life if we can really see the past we are going to get paravairagya that's how nature is befooling us it never allows us to see the past you know in patanjali yoga sutra that's what has been spoken that paravairagya comes when through spiritual practice you have lost all the biases all the immediate attachments has fallen off and when the mind loses interest in the immediate things it gets broadened it can see the past then the past lives just reveals and then the paravairagya comes to give a common example that why cannot i see the past when in a room dark room with the projector i am projecting something on the screen i can see the picture clearly but suddenly you open the window can you see the picture no the moment the, uh, the light comes this is no more visible then is the picture projected by the uh, project by the projector picture projected by is not there it is there but the external light simply shadows it overwhelms it it is so strong similarly our conscious mind is so active with the immediate uh, sensed pleasures of life with the immediate responsibilities the projector is on the subconscious mind is projecting the past it is always there but we cannot see it close the windows of your conscious mind and if you can relax even nowadays we will find that the past life transgression how much true or false i won't go to that if you must you just in even in youtube you search that past life transgression you will find so many videos one thing you will see that whether i i i am neither questioning the genuineness of it and neither i'm saying that they are all fact but what one thing i just what why you want to just point out there the process by which they are transgressing they will make they will take the person who who is supposed to transgress to the past who is going to the past is hypnotized he will be asked to lie down relaxed in the couch and then somehow he will hypnotize him in such a way that his mind is totally relaxed that's the procedure that takes him to the past so this is a basic thing that when you calm down the mind with from all your immediate responsibilities the past is being projected and when you see the past you really feel that what i am doing the same thing every in each, each and every life like a young when i was young i thought the entire world is there to give me happiness that's the way the nature befools us at certain point of time it is ready to give us everything in abundance and that's again after some time it will take away just snatch away from us your health is gone 
your even if the wealth is there you cannot enjoy decay death is there it will be taken away it will be snatched away from you that's the way nature is working but it is making us full for some time it is just giving me pleasure taking away so at last it has to fall and once we realize this i whenever that's the blessed moment that the renunciation dawns in but immediately you cannot simply throw off there are a few very strong willed one they say if the life is something which is a mere projection which has no ultimate value why should i just continue with it they just with the they what is a renounce like those strong gyana yogis but for most of us it is not possible that way we have to go through that slow process of sense of detachment with the sense of neither seeking nor avoiding to be detached as much as possible taking care of the responsibilities so that the modules falls off after getting the feedback that we are not going to be nurtured anymore you will find that among all the birds who you are feeding if you are attached to a particular bird you will feed that bird more that bird will be more strong and it won't allow other birds to take the cereal similarly in our life that it is not that that i have the free will most probably because of some circumstances i have nurtured a particular module more and that has become the trait of my character but that's not again your free will so the way to come out of it don't nurture them if you nurture them they will get strong and that's what we are doing that in life we have nurtured some of the modules so much and they have become so strong that they overwhelm me the grandchild whom whom i have nurtured just out of affection has become so strong that it can just uh, sometimes i feel that uh, that she has called, it just disbalances me i can never just take him and cajole him anymore he has become very strong so that is the thing happen it starts overwhelming you so the only thing in spiritual life is this detachment i cannot change the nature the nature has its own way as sri ramakrishna used to say very nicely the world is the dog's curly tail you can never straighten it you can never you straighten it leave it the next moment again it gets curled you can never straighten it it's all the modules with this particular stimuli response like the dog's curly tail is there as it is it is i who have to get detached at last that the story of the dog's curly tail you will find this story is so appropriate when we just in context discuss it so let's just relate that story again in short that a man was in search of a ghost who will be his servant whatever he wants he will order and it will be done by that ghost so he goes to a, a, he just meets a siddha purusha who can deliver him the ghost now the siddha purusha says i can but there is a warning what's the warning that you cannot keep it idle it has you have to give him work at each and every moment if you keep it idle it will kill you it will come and break your neck so it's, he thought it's easy there are so many things to do and now when the ghost was delivered he first starts with all the small household works the moment he asks clean this done clean that done cook food for me done whatever he says says immediately it's done and now says bah it's good he's very efficient so he just sees the nearby forest says clean this for me done immediately everything is clean 
being a huge, bring a build up a huge palette, palace, done. Wealth, everything, whatever he's saying, it's done. And now he really starts to that just think a bit, was wavering. What to ask him? What I ask? Immediately he does. And now as he was just thinking that what to ask, what task to give him, he started chasing him. That as he was told that if you give it free, it will immediately kill you. And now he was terrified that it is going to kill me. It is chasing me. Now this man started running. The ghost was running after him. And this man running reached the Siddha Purusha who has delivered the ghost and told, save me. What has happened? Well, I never realized that he's such an efficient ghost and I cannot give him any work. Now he's going to kill me. And he told, I told you, I never realized that he's so efficient. Then what can I do now? How can I save? The Siddha Purusha told, see, there's a dog lying there outside. Lazily he's lying there, lazy dog. So you go and cut its tail with the sword and give this ghost to this tail and ask him to straighten. So immediately he goes, cuts the tail and gives the ghost to the tail to be straightened. The ghost goes on trying. Every time he attempts, the moment he releases, it curls. And now at last, this is, a, this is the climax of the story. The ghost says, I won't harm you. Release me. Enough. So please just release me. So the, the real ghost are we with this limited existence. So much this, we are building cities, towns, enter civilization is changed. We are bragging. At last, we find that when the tail, can this dog's tail is given, this world cannot be straightened. It cannot be straightened. We are trying our best. So at last, what happens? We say, oh, please release me. Let this be as it is. So this releasing of the ghost, the ghost saying, please release me, is the thing which indicates that detachment. This world can never change. This world, this mind can never change. Mind with all its stimuli is as it is lying there. At last, I have to be detached and come out of it. Otherwise, I will be made to dance for lives together. That the dance which I am just dancing, I think of myself clever, but actually I am made by the mind to dance round and round. At Swami Vivekananda's that wonderful story in the olden days, the villages, you know, you know how the oil used to be as, as, uh, uh, crushed out from the oil seeds? That one rock, one rock will be rolling over the other rock and the oil seeds will be between the two rocks so that it can, that all the oil can be crushed in the process. Now, how to make the one one stone roll over the other stone? So they will connect the upper stone with a ox or with a bull. And how to make the bull move? It is connected. Now, if the bull moves, the upper stone will be revolving over the this unmovable stone, which is in the bottom. But how to make the bull move? So there was a wonderful trick the villagers discovered. What's that? tie a stick on the head of the bull, a bamboo stick, and in front of that bamboo stick, hang some straws, a few straw. Throughout the day, the bull will be attempting to catch hold of that straw. It cannot because it is fixed with a rod. So it will go on moving and the oil will go on crushing. And that's what the mother nature has done us. All our degrees are the long tail of the bull with all your degrees, this long tail. With all, but after all, we are bulls. That straw is the, there hanging. 
all over this car, TV, your position in life, or the straw hanging, you go on chasing. And the nature is getting the oil grinded. That's what is happening, nothing else. Trishna, get rid of it. So there may be millions of kinds of happiness and beings and laws and progress and causation, all acting outside the little universe that we know. And after all, the whole of this comprises but one section of the infinite nature. So where we are just thinking this to be the all, all with these toys to be the existence and we are just engrossed in it like the mustached babes. After that, Swamiji's words are very strong. After saying that we are all mustached babes, the another word he's using is that we are all eternal suckling babes. A small baby needs something to suckle. And when it has nothing to suckle, it cries. The mother comes and gives something to suckle again. It's quiet for some time. Again, it cries. Again, the mother gives something. And that's what is happening with us. The eternal suckling babes, the mustached babes. We are just busy with the Trishna, the Tanha, thinking us to be very clever. But actually, we have been befooled by the nature, lives after lives. That's going on. And that's what the background the Swami is creating. And then he will now go to the further uh, the sections, which speaks of that how to acquire that freedom. Why we have to acquire that freedom by relating to the spiritual dimension of existence. So what's that? Let us read that paragraph. Most probably we will take up again for our discussion in the next class that to acquire freedom, we have to get beyond the limitations of this universe. It cannot be found here. Perfect equilibrium or what the Christian call the peace that passeth all understanding cannot be had in this universe, nor in heaven, nor in any place where our mind and thoughts can go, where the senses can fill or which the imagination can conceive. So all this is within this world. We have to go beyond that by relating to our spiritual dimension of existence. And that alone can render us freedom, the Kaivalya, where I know I don't need the crutch of mind and senses. At present, I think without the mind and success, I am not there. That the crutch is not needed. Some man thought that he's handicapped and he was using the crutch and someone told you are perfectly all right, throw them, you can walk. And he, having faith, he throws them and he starts walking, realizing for the first time that he is, does, actually doesn't need the crutch. And that's what our condition is. The one who shouts at us, remove the crutch, crutch is the guru, is the spiritual teacher. You are totally free. The crutch falls off and you, you find that you were free. Somehow because of ignorance, you thought that you need the crutch that is bound to fall off and that can give us freedom. So this is the section. Again, we will resort to the modern psychological ideas to understand that how in this life we can never go beyond the sufferings which comes from inescapable trauma. We all go through the various trauma in life and we find we are cornered as if there is no way out and from that learned helplessness comes. These are the terms used in the modern psychology, learned helplessness. When you are in a trauma from which you cannot come out, the next moment you will be in some other situation, most probably it is not that as challenging, but you have become pessimist. You try no more. So what's the use of trying? Nothing I'm going to get because that inescapable trauma has 
made you, has biased your mind, have biased your mind by giving a teaching. What? That's a learned helplessness. That I'm helpless. You have learned that because of the past experiences. And this is the thing which happens with all of us. So for some, it may be a bit more intense, some it may be less, but at last we find we have become a bundle of compromises, thinking that nothing at last can happen in this life. So our a type of fake renunciation comes, which is not real renunciation. It is like someone who is depressed. If just renouncing the world was a sign of spirituality, then a depressed person is spiritual. He's attached to nothing. That is not the spiritual spirituality. That yeah, I am detached because I have found something higher. Just when we have a child who was quite happy with some very ordinary candy, and you give him a lint chocolate, you know, that's filled with very nice elixir inside. I have seen he will never now again you give that ordinary candy, he will never touch it. He has got something better. So the real renunciation is that. It's not the depression. It's not the sense of that is pessimism. It's actually you've got an elixir. And now you want no more. This is this falls off. Actually, this is the thing which has been spoken of here as a freedom. So when you get that, then you go beyond the limitations. So we will continue with the discussion again from this section onwards, again in the next class. So you find that so many layers of understanding can come out when we take these lectures and go through them slowly with an idea of contemplating on each and every sentence. You can take each and every sentence as a mantra. Mananath Trayatiti Mantra. Go on cogitating upon it. And you will find that there are so many layers of understanding in it, which can render you that, that freedom from this limited existence. So we will continue with the discussion again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.